You are listening to The Invisible, a podcast where I, Sarah Wingrove, and I, Sean Williams, will be discussing the representation in film, television and visual media of queer women and non-binary people. Join us each episode where we'll be covering a new topic and introducing each other and you, our listeners, to examples from across genres, languages and spectrums of identity. Now, let's get visible. Oh my goodness, we're at episode two. I know. Right. No, epi- no, no, it's episode one. Oh yeah, I guess because we went zero. Episode yes. zero, so I guess technically it's episode one. This well, is episode one. Confusing. It's episode A. Yes, episode A for animation. Yeah, I noticed when I listened to the... I mean, you've got to bear with me today because for some reason I'm really tired, so I probably sound really Aww. like subdued, like I've taken... A Valium again, which is exactly what I sounded like <laughs> in the last episode when I listened back to myself. I sound like I've taken a Valium. <laughs> I did think, I'll admit, there was one bit of audio that I thought, gosh, her voice is really deep and yeah. she sounds like she's about to fall asleep. Yeah, I think, I don't know what it is. I think maybe, because <laughs> normally I'm quite like um, lively and I think maybe it's like yeah. being in lockdown is making me really um, chilled in a weird way, yeah. like, because I'm not moving as much. So maybe it's just kind of like, I don't know, making everything slow down, including my voice. <laughs> oh, especially editing the episode, last episode. I, I kept thinking, oh my goodness, I should just start doing like, if, I mean, I'm doing it now. If someone listened to it and they played a drinking game of drink every time Sarah says like, <laughs> people would be in A&E. <laughs> <laughs> The same I say that word a lot. If we did, like, drink every time Sean says something that makes no sense. <laughs> no, I think you make sense a good 80% of the time. <laughs> That's what I mean. There's, joking, a, joking. there's a big chunk where I kind of, like... I've noticed myself doing it before in, in um, when I did the podcast for The Queer Corner. Um, mm. There's kind of sentences I'll say, or I'll be telling a story, but, and then I'll, I'll know what I mean, but I'll just stop mid-sentence and I won't kind of finish it and then I'll like go on to the next bit <laughs> or something oh no I think that's just different ways of thinking and I mean I definitely do that like when I was writing my notes out for today I went back to my notes and thought Sarah you haven't finished this sentence you've just moved on to another bit but it's fine I mean my notes are literally all over the place like they're even like different fonts and colours where I've like picked up oh, wow. at different places like it's really crazy no I love this I requested the theme for this week of animation. Uh, I think there's quite a nice contrast between our two focuses. Sean, what are you looking at this week? Um, so because I'm not that familiar with uh, animation, in particular lesbian animation, I did some research and have kind of done a general overview of um, some lesbian animation topics that came up for me during my research, like the kind of main ones that seem to kind of dominate Um and I'm also, in my uh, breakdown, I'm also going to talk about Disney, uh, queer Disney, reading into, I mean, if it exists, but it, it does exist in subtext. So I'm going to like read into uh, two popular films, Mulan and Frozen, and read the queer subtext, and potentially with a bit of a personal uh, edge as well. So that's my kind of general, what I'm looking into, roughly. Cool. 
Cool. Uh, okay, my section is a little bit different as compared to Sean. Animation is my thing. <laughs> I like it a lot. Uh, I wrote about it a lot when I was at university, and I'd say a, a large proportion of the films I watch generally are animated. Um, if there was one of those girls on tops t-shirts with Lottie Ranniger's name on it, I would be all over that. And if you don't know who Lottie Ranniger is, she's the pre-Disney mother of animation, and if and you should definitely Google her. Anyway, this episode I've gone quite specific and I'm going to be talking about a short film I really, really love called B by director Kai Steinecker from 2015. And this was rendered in my favourite form of animation, which is stop motion. Brilliant. I'm excited to find out more. Yeah, definitely. Um, Before we get started with our main topic, I just wanted to point out that since we last recorded, we've been really, truly spoiled for choice with two new releases of sapphic films mm. both streaming on netflix um first off is a secret love directed by chris bolan this was a really intriguing documentary about the secret relationship between terry donahue and pat henschel i watched this with uh, some of the queer girls i work with when it was released last wednesday have you seen it yes i have i've seen um a secret love and i thought it was incredible i watched it last week as well i watched it with my fiance mm-hmm. and um we literally we both cried the entire way through like oh really yes. kind of borderline hysterical crying <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and and at the end, like the film had finished, the credits were rolling, and we were still going for it. <laughs> oh my god! But it was good, I, wasn't it? It was absolutely amazing. I I knew a little bit about it going in, and I contacted one of the girls that I was going to be watching it with. Obviously, socially distanced, we were messaging each other over Facebook. Yeah, I was going to say, is this um, over Zoom or how did you watch this together? So. I've now since been told about Netflix Party, but I've not. I've I've still not used that yet. But we literally all got Netflix up on our computers, had our phones with like Facebook chat, and just all went three, two, one, and then pressed like oh, go at cool. the same time. Yeah, I did that yeah. before with um my fiance. I'm gonna I'm gonna name her with Abby. Um, we did that before when we first got together with Carol. So we'd um. I'd only seen it once and it was a long time ago and I was writing about it for my uh, dissertation and and my fiance had never seen it so we both did that it was like 2am and we watched that oh, through the night so, together that's <laughs> cute. so like, cute kind of like a date so uh, yeah that's, that's cool <laughs> what's that did you say disgusting I was going to say yeah disgusting that's disgustingly cute <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so that was um yeah, it's directed by the great nephew of one of the couple and produced by Ryan Murphy, who did um, Glee and American Horror Story and lots of other things, I think. Um, I don't know. I think the thing that really struck me was that despite it being something that was made like within the family, like there's a lot of a mm. lot of the footage is very evident like that he's filmed it with his family around him. It's got quite an antagonistic slant, doesn't it? Like, towards Diana, Terry's niece. Oh, God, yeah. That was really stressing me out, actually. The oh, relationship between Diana and Pat. Yes. Yeah. Oh. And I actually researched... I don't know if you saw the article, but I was quite stressed out by it. You know, obviously, I'm not going to spoil it, but I kind of wanted to know what was going on afterwards, so I Googled it. And apparently, since the end of the filming... Because it was filmed from... It was filmed over a couple of years from 2013 until... Was it 18 or 19? 19, um, I think. Yeah, I think it was 19. So it was filmed over quite a long time. And apparently their relationship... They uh, they were interviewed 
and their relationship's really grown since it started filming and um now apparently diana visits or diana i can't remember but she visits uh pat five times a week they're really oh close my gosh. yeah they're really close still that's good and i know and diana said um you know she said obviously she's gonna but she said i don't i don't um something what was the quote it was something like i don't visit patty or auntie pat because of terry anymore i visit auntie pat because i love auntie pat yeah, obviously documentaries have their like mediation and they're edited and we only get a snapshot. Yeah. Clearly as as with this situation. But it definitely it definitely went a different way that I thought it would in terms of the tension. Yeah. Um but I was super, super impressed with the amount of archive and home home movies that they had. Like even stuff from like the fifties mm. and such. The fact that the fact that, that was still intact as well, I was just blown away by it. Yeah, it was beautiful though, all that kind of archive oh. footage, like Super 8 kind of styled yeah. footage, like, and really rare, I think, to have that much and all the photographs as well. Um, yeah, totally. it was really cool. It was a really interesting documentary. And then obviously it had like the kind of um, extra element to it of the fact that Terry was a famous female baseball player. And there oh was a gosh, film yeah. made about her in the 90s. Obviously, they left out the lesbian part. <laughs> <laughs> Of yeah, I don't know whether it was quite about because I know I mean you're referring to a league of their own. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether it's about her directly, but I think it's about that movement mm. that there was in the night during the Second World War of saying, okay, well, all of the men baseball players are off in the war doing other things. Yeah. We need a form of entertainment that like that definitely was grounded in history. But let's put them in tiny skirts. <laughs> And then yeah, it's that's acceptable. That's also what they did. I know. That's also what they did. I it's know. ridiculous. And, and as well, because I was watching the footage, like the actual footage, like you said, yeah. of the <gasps> baseball players, and they obviously they have the skid they're on the floor. Legs. And their oh, legs. Their poor legs. That's why. That's why the baseball players wear like long trousers. It's because of the skidding. Yeah. And I was like, oh my god! Like I can't believe they. Well, I can believe that they put the sexualization over that. Oh. <laughs> I know. And it's like, oh, well, it's more ladylike. And but, it's like, you're literally flashing your knickers. But they had all, like, <laughs> yeah, more ladylike. And then they've got these, like, big meaty legs. I was thinking, what, like, you may as well just <laughs> put them in trousers. What are you doing? Uh, the other, oh, the other film that came out last week is the second feature from Alice Wu, also released on Netflix, which is called The Half of It. I've not seen this yet, but I have seen her first film from back in 2005, which is called Saving Face. There's a really great interview with Alice Wu on the Diking Out podcast, hosted by Carolyn Berger and Melody Kamali, mm. um, which I really, really recommend checking out. Uh, have you seen the half of it or Saving Face, Sean? I haven't seen either of them, so I'm definitely <gasps> going to have to look up. I'll try and watch these in the next few weeks, actually. I mean, we've got the time now, so yeah, I'll, I'll write that down and remember that. <laughs> oh, they are both absolutely impeccable. Um, well, from what I know of the half of it, it sounds impeccable. The Saving Face I saw, oh, about a year ago for the first time. Mm. And it's a really intriguing um, analysis of sort of coming out as gay, being in a Asian-American family, expectation from family, um... Yeah, it's just, it's brilliant. And Alice Wu is just a f really, really fun director and writer. So, yeah, really recommend it. Yeah, I'll definitely check those out in the next few weeks.
when I was listening back to our podcast zero that we did, uh-huh. and I was thinking about the BBC lesbian. And I, yes. <laughs> and I was just like really amused by it and the idea of you you also looking like a BBC lesbian. And I did yeah. have a question. I did have a question for you, which was, if you were a BBC lesbian, what do you think you'd be presenting? What would be your thing? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I love this question. Um, oh, oh, I don't know. I'd really like to have my own show. Yeah. I think um, if we were going for something completely original, like a new format, mm. something to do with like almost like Bake Off but gardening. Oh, okay, cool. There probably, I mean, there probably is something like that already, but I'll admit I don't actually watch that much television. Um, certainly not live. I don't think but... there's a Bake Off styled one though. There's like a Bake Off styled pottery show. I don't know if you've seen that. Is That's there? really good. What's I that? knew that there was um, <laughs> there's oh gosh, what's he called? Joe Lysett has got the the sewing bee. Oh, okay. Which I really want to watch because I do like sewing. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, something like QI, I think something like QI. I like. I love yeah. a quiz show. I love a quiz show. Um, and when I had my brief stint working in television, mm. one of the things that I often got asked to do because I was just a runner. <laughs> yeah. I'd get called up, and they'd some t- one of the girls who was on one of the quiz show teams, <coughs> working on the development of the show. Yeah. She would call me up and test quiz se- quiz questions on me. Oh, that's wicked! Yeah. Which was really good fun. Um, and they'd like test out format, like the format for a new quiz show and things like that. It was really good fun. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. Um, if it was one that was already like a pre-established show, I don't think I'm witty enough for Bake Off. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Haven't got like I enough cake think... jokes up your sleeve. Probably not. You need no, some cake I, I jokes. Mean, I do. I do like baked goods though. You do like what? Um, I like baked goods. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Like I really like a flapjack. <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't think I'm quite as witty. Oh, I'd love to be as witty as Sandy Toxvig, but I don't think I'm quite there. Yeah, she's great. I love yeah. Mel and Sue as well, but obviously only only yeah. one oh. is a BBC lesbian. That's true. <laughs> Although Mel I always Giedrich's secretly like, thought she's an they honorary. Would... What's that? She's an honorary BBC lesbian, yeah. Mel Giedrich. Well, I always kind of like secretly thought they were together for a while. Um, but then I found out <laughs> Sue's actually with... Um, she's really sexy. What's her name? I always fancied her. I fancy Sue's wife. I can't remember what her name is. <laughs> she does <laughs> She does the sex education show and... Oh, yes. And um, Naked Attraction. But I can't yes, remember her name. I can't remember her name They're either, a sexy but I couple, remember though. seeing that. Loving it. <laughs> I'm living for it. As I've said before, this is just going to be a show of us talking about which women in <laughs> film and TV that we find attractive. <laughs> cool. We'll um, get up her name and we'll do a we'll do a Sarah cut in with her name at the oh end of the God, episode. Hang on. <laughs> Hello listeners, this is your Sarah cut in for this episode. So Sue Perkins' partner is called Anna Richardson. They're not married, but they have been together since 2014. I don't know how long it's going to go on for. That's all right. I can always edit. (laughs) Okay, so A is for animation. Um, This is the topic we'll be talking about this week, as Sarah's just uh, mentioned. Um, 
So, as I've kind of said, I don't really have much of a background in animation. Um, I do have two favourite animation films which aren't lesbian, which I just want to kind of put their names out there. So one is called Persopolis, a 2007 film, and the other one is Walks with Bashir, 2008 film. Uh, so just putting those out there, both kind of <gasps> documentary-styled films, but in animation. Yes. Do, you know, do you know what I mean, Walks with Bashir? Yes, Walks with Bashir, um, my... Uh, head of department at Surrey wrote her wrote her PhD on Waltz with Bashir. It's incredible. Have you seen it's it? It's bloody stuff. Yeah, we wa- we had to watch it for her course because she because she teaches animating documentary. Yeah, it's oh. so it's such an interesting idea because Persopolis is like a similar thing. It's an, it's autobiographical. It's like more like a uh, graphic novel, but it's autobiographical. So they're both obviously yeah. uh, got you know they're both documentary. Um, but yeah, yes. so they're my favourite animations ever, really. Um, mm-hmm. And then obviously I, I do love Disney. But um, as we're discussing lesbians, I thought I'd do some research into lesbian animation. Um, like I said, I don't know much about lesbian animation. So here's what I've found. So when I, fir- when I first searched um, lesbian animation... Yuri, is that how you pronounce it? Yuri came up. Yuri, yep. Yuri. <laughs> oh God, I know where this is going. <laughs> so I literally searched into Google lesbian animation because I was like, I don't know what I'm going to find. Um, here we go. Okay, Yuri, loads of it everywhere, just like anime. Um, and I was like, right, I think I know where this is going. Let's have a little look into it. Uh, <laughs> so I'll give you a brief kind of um, background kind of or description of Yuri. So Yuri translates as Lily in English, and it's also known as girls' love. Um, It's a Japanese jargon term for content and a genre involving lesbian relationships or female homoeroticism, can't speak, in manga, anime, video games, light novels and related Japanese media. Um, It focuses on either sexual orientation or romantic orientation um, of of aspects of relationship or both. so Yuri doesn't always have to have a focus on like romantic sapphic relationships. It can just be sexual, let's say, or mm-hmm. about uh, friendship sometimes. It's really ra- it seems to vary quite significantly um, from yeah. what I've researched. I, like I said, I'm not an expert on Yuri. I don't watch anime or anything uh, other than when I was little, I used to watch Pokemon. I think that's as far as my anime knowledge goes. <laughs> um, so... It kind of, as a brief background, it started in the... It has roots in in fiction in the early 20th century, but it wasn't until the 1970s that lesbian-themed works began to appear in manga. Um, And the 1990s brought new trends in manga and anime. Um, And in the early 2000s, the magazines came out. Um, So I kind of... Oh, that was it. There was also studies done about the gender, um, the gender of the viewers, which I thought was interesting and kind of just related back to the previous episode. Um, so this is a Wikipedia reference. <laughs> the um, <laughs> so there was a study conducted um, in two thousand and eleven. Um, it's all on Wikipedia. I'm just kind of do- doing a really brief overview. Um, um, the study found that 52.4% of respondents uh, were women who watched Yuri or uh, read Yuri magazines and 461 were men. Uh, 1.6 did, did not identify with either gender. Uh, so that's quite like a 
you know, equal split in a way. Obviously, it's more women, but there's still quite a vast majority that are men. Um, uh, and uh, the sexuality of the participants was also requested and separated into two categories, heterosexual and non-heterosexual. The results were as follows. 30% were non-heterosexual non women, so obviously gay women, and 15.2% were heterosexual women. Um... 4.7% were non-heterosexual men and 39.5% were heterosexual men. And of the 1.2 identified it as other. So there's obviously like a very... I thought that was interesting that there's a very equal split between uh, men and women watching Yuri or engaging in Yuri and also gay and straight. So there's lots of... There's a lot more gay women and straight men that watch and uh, enjoy Yuri, which, I mean, I guess that was going to be... No surprise. Yeah, no surprise. Um, it did like it was kind of nice to see that the percentages kind of did tip towards more gay women than than straight men, but still mm -hmm. massively like a massive audience for straight men, which is no surprise if you actually watched lots of Yuri. Um, if you if you kind of engage with some of it, not all of it. I've kind of just listed. I've I've just written down four films here. Um, Yuri, well, episodes, kind of series. I think most of them are in. Um, uh -huh. The one, what was this? So I can't pronounce it. It's called Netzuo. I think it's called Netzuo Trap. Um, and it was 2014. The series was about 2014 to 2017. Um, I watched actually a few clips of different episodes. There was like a compilation, compilation, I can't talk, clip that a fan had made of all the sexual scenes. So I was like, I'm going to watch them. And they were both like 10 minutes long. So I watched those. <laughs> and from what I got from the, the sex scenes... They're completely male gazed, and I'd say borderline hentai. Um, <laughs> Yikes. The characters were dressed in, you know, both the female characters were dressed in stockings and suspenders the whole time. Um, they often kind of would put each other's stocking and suspender outfits on, if that makes sense. Um, uh -huh. There were sex scenes between the characters but and kissing scenes, but there always seemed to be men lurking in the background during these scenes, watching no. them and filming them. No. And men kind of cheering them on. So I was like, well, that's that just sums it up, really, doesn't it? Um, and then I've just looked it up. Yeah. Is it Netsuzo? Yeah, Netsuzo. That's it. I couldn't say it. Netsuzo. Netsuzo trap. Yeah, I've just googled it. Oh. <laughs> and there was a classic bit I thought was interesting, which I've seen often in films or TV shows, when they first kiss. I think it's in the girls' toilets, and one of the characters says to the other, basically, she's trying to coerce her into kind of getting with her or whatever, and she says. You'll be more nervous with a boy. I'm helping you to practice, and it's kind of that, you know, that cliche of we're not, we're kind of just sexual things or practicing. You know, we're not the real thing. You know, it kind of just reinforces that rhetoric. Um, there was a few others. There was one that I thought looked quite. Um, I mean, I didn't. I watched some clips, but one that looked a lot more um, like it had a lot more substance to it. It was called Revolutionary Girl Utena. It's a nineties <gasps> oh, one. That. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it, but I, I kind have. of looked at the trailer and I read the um, synopsis. Um, it, it seems quite like she has like um, she has deeper like deep bonds with people, and uh, it's it starts with the death of her parents, which seems to yeah. throw her into an existential crisis, and once she wants to find the meaning of life, that's what I got from it. And then I thought that was really interesting. Um, that it's obviously not got like just a purely sexual focus and the main character seems to have a lot of um a lot to her like she seems really multifaceted from what I got from it yeah. um 
So that was interesting. It was quite a long series, if I remember rightly. Yeah, here it says uh, 1996 to 1998. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know how many episodes there was, but that was just. This is a very general kind of me just looking into kind of the world of Yuri very briefly and kind of being like, oh, there's another theme that seems to be odd. Um, and I, I maybe I, you know, like I said, I don't know Yuri like probably lots of there's loads of fans that know everything about it like so I can't really completely you know I don't want to assume but there was a film I'm going to reference the film Candy Boy or it's like a big episode and there was other episodes have you heard of that 2007 I've not heard of that one no it's about two sisters now one of the characters seems to have an androgynous kind of appearance which I was like that's interesting they're both you know, they're, they're having a bit of gender diversity there, gender presentation diversity. But the characters oh. are sisters. And then yeah. there's like... No, the, I have heard Yeah, this. there's this other character that kind of fancies one of the sisters. But they're seen, well, the scenes I watched were like, they sleep in the same bed in this dorm room. And it's just like, they say really strange things to each other about like wanting to touch each other's like squishy tummies. I don't know. Like, it was yeah. just, I was like, what's oh, happening? They're no, sisters. I just literally... picture came up and I was like oh no oh no (laughs) like and then apparently it's a like there's another film Yuri film which is about sisters and it's like sexual and I did watch a bit of that I can't remember what it was called but like there seems to be this strange theme about incest perhaps in some Yuri which I I didn't I thought was interesting (laughs) um so that's that's my kind of lowdown on Yuri um the other kind of the main thing which is this is a comes at completely different scope this is a completely different angle of looking at lgbt um characters in animation um when i did some research the animator rebecca sugar um came up um and she animates you probably definitely know who she is um i've got notes about her (laughs) yeah she's great like from my research and stuff like obviously so she um created steven universe uh, for cartoon network and also animated and wrote for um where's it gone what's it called you know what it's called adventure time adventure Uh, time yeah and obviously (laughs) everyone knows there's the two lesbian characters in adventure time um is it marceline the vampire queen and princess bubblegum if i said her name correctly i'm really bad with that um and um yeah so like two of the first kind of lesbian characters in animation that were kind of obviously lesbian um in, and for kids, for a kids' TV show as well, like, I think that's really interesting. And again, with Steven Universe, there's lots of kind of queer, non-binary, gender fluid, and obviously there is also lesbian characters that get married um, in Steven Universe. It's quite explicit. Um, I've not, I didn't, like, I've seen a couple of episodes of Steven Universe, but I didn't get into it in quite the same way. Yeah, when I've been researching Rebecca Sugar, I just found her kind of, in general, really interesting. Um so she's bisexual non-binary um and i've got a quote here again from wikipedia (laughs) but um no judgment (laughs) no judgment (laughs) so sugar has discussed the importance of creating lgbt representation and content especially in children's entertainment on cameron and now i'm going to pronounce her second name so bear with me cameron esposito's podcast esposito yep got it good (laughs) on cameron esposito's podcast query um sugar stated i want to champion lgbtqia all of it content in g-rated family entertainment i want to do that forever 
Um, she also explained how Steven Universe has helped her to come to terms with her own identity as bisexual and non-binary. And she believes that early and positive exposure to the LGBT community can help queer identifying children avoid experiencing shame in their own identities, which of course is true. And it's, yeah, it kind of leads on to, you know, discussions that we'll have about Disney in a bit and how they, they don't really do that. Um, Um, yeah, in Steven Universe, LGBTQ plus themes are prominent as early as the first season, second half. Uh, the fifth season's engagement and wedding between Ruby and Sapphire was reportedly the first same-sex marriage proposal in a children's animated series. Um, and I watched that uh, clip of them getting married. And they kind of, it's really funny, actually. Um, their characters, I don't really get the series, but I think they're all kind of, you know, they're, they're humanoid type things. Yeah. And yes. Ruby and Sapphire are kind of separate. You know, Ruby's red because she's Ru- Ruby and Sapphire's blue. Uh, but when they get married uh, later on in the party, they kind of merge into like an actual big kind of, I don't know, it's called a fusion or something. I don't know. Yeah. But then they actually like literally merge together and it made me laugh just because I was thinking of like lesbian couples merging together or something. Oh my God. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, I think they kind of merge in and out of each other. I don't know, but it was really cool. But kind of had that nice metaphor there of them becoming one, literally. Um, yeah. So that was interesting. So that's kind of, they were the two main, Yuri and uh, Rebecca Sugar's animations yeah. were the two main things that came up when I searched for lesbian animation. Totally, uh-huh. vastly different. And I just thought that was interesting. Um Another thing that came up, which I, f- I would recommend everyone check out, is um, a comic uh, called Rock and Riot, which is student animated. Um, there's one animated like episode, and the rest is like uh, the rest of the uh, comic. It, well, it's a comic; it's a graphic novel. Um, so it's really cool. It's like 1950s vibe, um, and it's uh, it covers quite a vast spectrum of LGBTQ, not just lesbian. Um, it's really interesting so I'd definitely check that out there's a website it's called Rock and Riot so I thought that was it was really stylized, and I really liked the vibe of it it had that kind of um, Grease theme but queer Grease but queer and animated so that was really cool Um, and I think we should always be supporting you know student um, filmmakers animators etc and uh, people that don't have as much recognition you know so yeah definitely like a little indie one to check out Um, so that's kind of my research before you go on to the Disney thing, yes. can I make a comment about Adventure Time and Rebecca Sugar? Yeah, so that's what I thought. I thought maybe we could talk about this bit first and then... Yeah. Because it's like a different... Yeah, go on. Yeah, totally. Um, so <laughs> I was a very big fan of Adventure Time right. when I was younger. <laughs> uh, heck, like, I mean, I still think it's a bloody brilliant series. Mm-hmm. It start- I think it started in like 2010, so I was about 15 yeah, when it started. Um so I literally just noticed, so I'm sat at my desk in my room and right next to me is a tote bag that my best friend gave me, which is of Princess Bubblegum's face. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'd forgotten quite how much like people knew that I liked it when I was a bit younger. But yeah, uh, my first long-term girlfriend gave me the T-shirt that Marceline, the vampire queen, gives Princess Bubblegum in the series. So there's like a whole thing, yeah, there's a whole thing about Marceline giving her a t-shirt and even after they break up, she keeps it. Oh, I didn't know they broke up. (laughs) Oh, like, it's, it, like, watch it. (laughs) I'm trying not to give spoilers or anything, just watch it. I've seen Um, clips, like, I didn't actually know about Adventure Time, I don't think, until like four years after it came out. And it was because a friend at uni was really into it and she kind of told me about Lemon, is it Lemon Sweets? And, um... 
then she said, oh, there's two lesbians in it. Like, so I watched a few clips of the lesbians <laughs> and that, that was it. That's my kind of extent of Adventure Time. But what I do actually find interesting about Adventure Time and um, Steven Universe is that, and Cartoon Network in general, um, is its surrealism aspect. And um, yes, perhaps, I just kind of, the thought came to me, perhaps the reason why these characters or these um, anim- these cartoons can be queer is because they're surreal. So it's kind of like there's no rules in these universes. Ooh. So, oh, well, we can get away with putting the queerness in there, whereas Disney's so hyper-realist, there seems to be, you know, producers and stuff seem to shy away from that more. And obviously it's a lot more mainstream. But Cartoon oh, Network is still, you know... It's still massive. Yeah, Cartoon Network's really massive. And Cartoon Network was kind of my go-to when I was younger, like really young. I used oh, to watch same. stuff like Powerpuff Girls and Daxter's Laboratory and stuff. Yes. <laughs> but it's always really kind of surreal, like all the... Oh, yeah. Kind of odd, a lot of the programmes, aren't they? So perhaps yeah, there's like... Yeah, I think that's... Yeah, I think that's the thing that I love about animation so much is that there is just so much scope. Mm. And there is this ability to have different worlds, different ways of seeing things Mm. um i vividly remember so rebecca sugar did a series of illustrations of princess bubblegum and marceline so this was prior to so there there was a bit of an issue with the adventure time series because it is um streamed all over the world and it's shown on it's children's tv show it's shown in russia and china Mm. and there was a bit of a thing oh gosh i can't remember when it was like earlier 2010s where fans were saying like well you're hinting at the fact that princess bubblegum and marceline have had something yeah um because there are i think it was called what was there something like that there was an episode that specifically referenced the fact that they had been together and they were now exes yeah um and there was a sort of like well why won't you actually show that they're together why is why is there no obviously not explicit in a sexual sense, but was there no explicit representation? Mm. And part of it was that because if they did that, the show would get cut in these countries and for Cartoon Network, that would be a really big thing. Yeah. And it would mean that they would struggle a lot more. Um, and actually, I, I mean, to me, Rebecca Sugar is so... Oh, gosh, what's the word? She's so... Insp- they're so inspiring. Because mm. um, they really pushed... Like, really paved the way for having... LGBTQIA plus characters mm. in children's television. That is massive. Yeah, massive. Um, I mean, so these drawings that I was talking about, so Rebecca Sugar did these illustrations and they got sort of circulated on Tumblr. Um, at this point, she was one of the storyboard artists on, on Adventure Time and it felt like this super huge confirmation of this couple mm. which up until that point had only been a sort of a fan theory a fan favorite um and someone who was actually working on the show was going oh yes this is how i see them as a couple <laughs> yeah oh, they're stunning like drawings i'll yeah like i'll put some of the pictures up on instagram because they are absolutely stunning illustrations mm. and she sort of plays with an image of like floating and weightlessness um and sort of ribbons it's it's really really pretty um yeah i don't know i think especially if we're talking about children's television i'm a reader of fan fiction i will like very openly say i read fan fiction i've read fan fiction since i was 12 or 13 years old Mm. i definitely came across things that were not of age for me at the right age (laughs) but the idea of seeing like the illustrations that rebecca sugar has done of marceline and princess bubblegum 
are completely PG. There are of them cuddling, there are of them kind of like being almost kissing. That's PG, that's fine. It's when you're taking these characters that have been created for children. Yes, there is going to be a wider audience, including adults. But when you, in, but then when you make that sexually explicit, like for example, elements of brony culture and even with fan art of these Adventure Time characters, mm. it it doesn't feel quite right. And unfortunately, that plays into the whole argument that oh well. LGBT characters are not appropriate yes. for younger viewers. Yeah, because it's that goes back to that kind of uh, classic, the sexualization of LGBT characters. Like, people don't see it as a romantic, loving thing. They see it as a sexual thing, and that applies to gay, lesbian, all members of LGBTQ+. It's always seen as a sexualization in, in kind of mainstream. Um, that's why, that's one of the reasons, I guess, why... It, you know, it was demonised so much to be gay yeah. because it was seen as a sexual act, like we spoke about. Um, and I'm talking, like, you know, gay men as well, not just gay women. Um, and I think that's part of the problem why so many people seem to have issues with, let's say, Disney introducing gay romance lines because they don't see it as loving, they see it as sexual and yeah. all yeah. of this. And it's, it's, no, we're not teaching children about gay people having sex, we're teaching them that it's okay to love anyone of any gender. And they, children don't see it like that anyway. Yeah. They kind of just see a, a, the character, you know? And it's that kind of... It's that same thing when people talk about let's not teach sex education in schools or let's not teach gay relationships <sighs> in schools. Like, if a child or a teenager is going to be gay, they're going to be gay regardless of whether you teach them how to be safe, yeah. like, have safe sex or not. Like, with oh the same... God, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, they're going to be gay regardless. It's not an agenda because that's what people seem to think yeah. if we put gay characters in disney it's an agenda a big gay agenda we're gonna yeah. turn you all gay like no we're just we're just trying to help Can you imagine? gay young people <laughs> be seen and heard like that's all like if i could have seen gay characters growing up it would have helped me likewise it would have helped you like mm. all we ever saw was straight heterosexual romances everywhere right so we had to like and this relates back to the celluloid closet we had to pick apart straight material to find something queer in it that we could identify yeah. with yeah so that's why rebecca sugar's doing such a good job oh yeah like even just seeing those illustrations i mean i must have been oh 17 or 18 years old when those no maybe not even that 16 17 years old when those when those images came out mm. and that was so important because i'd just come out at that point and actually seeing a mainstream animator acknowledging that relationship was really really important yeah because sometimes when you watch stuff where the character could be queer or they're kind of queer bait and they kind of there's queer signifiers but they're not really being um obvious about it you don't yeah. ever expect them to actually like sometimes you think in your head oh i'm kind of just assuming i'm making it up that this character's queer yeah. like i'm reading into things and i'm making it up but you kind of had that confirmation that actually no these two characters in adventure time are queer so that's yeah. great i'm not wrong yeah i'm not wrong it's, it's saying i'm not wrong yeah exactly in, in, in more than one way it's not it's it's that first level of i'm not wrong that what i'm seeing isn't true mm but also, I'm not wrong in being who I am yeah. because there's other people like me. Exactly. And it's, it's so, oh, it's so important.
did you ever play with My Little Pony? No, I didn't, but my sisters had them. My little sisters. Oh, yeah. I Which never had is, them. I was too birch for My Little Pony. <laughs> <laughs> I had, like, Action Men and Bionicles. Do you remember Bionicles? What the heck is a Bionicle? <laughs> it's like this weird... I think that's what they're called. It's like this weird Lego-y kind of monster thing that you put together, and it's like uh-huh. a big monster robot. It's like a birch toy. <laughs> Uh-huh. I think this episode, I think especially because we're talking about animation, yeah. um, there is often this assumption that animation equals children's content. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll definitely talk about it a bit more when I go on to the film that I'm talking about, because the film that I'm talking about is definitely not for children. Uh, okay, cool. <laughs> in terms of content. Uh, yeah, I'd say Yuri's like, not, but then I don't know no. enough about it. I think if it's... From what I remember of what I saw, because I saw quite a bit of Yuri when I was first coming out, because it was one of those things that it was like, because I was I was a bit of a weeb. I really liked anime when I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, and when I was starting to come out, first I watched a lot of Yaoi, which is the opposite, which is boys love. Oh yeah, you said you liked and watching then, um, yeah gay guys a lot in the last yeah. week. <laughs> that was like your exposure <laughs> to it, wasn't it? Like to queerness. It was, yeah. And from that, I then discovered Yuri. But I couldn't get with Yuri quite so much because the majority of it didn't feel like it was made. That's probably because it's all male-gazed. Yeah. And, I mean, some of it's nice. Some of some of it's nice. And really great examples, like Revolutionary Girl Utena is a really wonderful example, mm-hmm. as is um, Sailor Moon. Yeah, I've heard of Sailor Moon. There's a lesbian couple in Sailor Moon. I think um, I've probably which watched Sailor Moon or part the of it. awful thing is in the 90s, so Sailor Moon was really popular in Japan and mm. then it got brought over to the US and in the dub, so they didn't just subtitle it, they dubbed over the voices mm. because they didn't want these two characters to be lesbians. <laughs> they okay. referred to them as cousins. Oh, what? Oh. <laughs> but they were still doing the same things on screen yeah so then it's just incest so you've added yeah. an extra layer of they taboo well worse. done <laughs> yeah oh no i just I it's my, it. that's one of my favorite like bits of animation history is the fact that the u.s were like oh they, they can't be lesbians they must be incestuous cousins oh god yeah like it's better <laughs> oh no <laughs> On that note, do you want to move on to Disney? <laughs> um, so first, I think it's important to mention that Frozen... So the two films I was going to very briefly talk about, Frozen, which is a 2013 film. I'm talking about the first film. I haven't seen the second film, although I, I have heard about... Oh, I've seen a clip. You haven't seen the second one? No, but I've seen the clip where oh. it's suggested that there's this relationship with another girl in it, but it's not, it doesn't yeah. really happen, does it? Um the second one is, um, oh, it's super gay. Is it? Like that's, yeah, I'd say it's super. Like obviously not, obviously not canonically, but it's super gay. It's gay. Like than I the first cried, one. I cried so much in the cinema watching that film because I was just like, oh, she's gay. Oh, <laughs> uh, so that because because I know there was a lot of like everyone in the first when the first film came out was like Elsa is clearly a lesbian like. What, yeah. Are they going to kind of actually address it in the second film? And then wasn't there a bit of disappointment because it wasn't addressed? But then was it ever going to be addressed in a big budget Disney film? I don't think it ever would be. No. So Not in something like Frozen, but... 
How does there it? There are definite yeah. things. There are things that came up. Oh, I'm not going to spoil it or anything because there are people who still haven't seen it, yourself included. Um, I mean, I don't mind you spoiling it for me. I don't know if I'm going to see it. I mean, I probably will at some point. But There's things that are said that could have very, very easily been read as queer. Mm. Very easily. Um, and there are moments between... Elsa and another character. I cannot remember her name for the life of me. Yeah, I've seen but... like clips of it because I saw like a breakdown review thing and it was talking about this other character. She's part of like a different kind of group or something. Yes, yeah. And apparently they're like flirting or something. Yeah, it's kind of... Yeah, I think that's all you could call it. It's just a, it's flirtatious behaviour. Yeah. Um, Not enough that it would upset any homophobic <laughs> viewers. Because they could just be cousins. <laughs> Oh no, don't. Or sisters. So it won't upset any homophobes. Oh my gosh. I mean. They look like they're flirting, but it's okay because they're sisters. Stop it. (laughs) Awful. (laughs) Awful. Homophobic um, mindset. I'm not being homophobic. No, not you. Like like a homo. That's a homophobe's thought process. Like they could be lesbians, but no, they're sisters, so it's better. Oh my god. That's what we'll call them. Anyway, continue. <laughs> Me. Me continue. Okay. Yes. Um So first I thought I'd just briefly mention I a film I haven't seen, which you did mention to me called Onward, which is was released this year. Um and it has a minor minor reference to a lesbian relationship and it has a lesbian character in it very briefly um she's a um purple cyclops called spectre and she's a police officer um i've seen a picture of her um so apparently this film has actually been banned in multiple countries due to the film's minor reference to the lesbian yeah that's what i can't remember what my reference was for that i I didn't write down the reference but that's when i was researching it like it came up in an article um The blah, 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 blah. But yeah, so that's kind of like this is kind of being spoken about as Disney's that's kind of like first reference. openly gay character, isn't it? But it's like 2020 and it's the most minor. It's good, obviously, yeah. for Disney, like it is good, but it's kind of like the most <laughs> minor, the bare small scene. Yeah, it's like the bare minimum. But she does look quite like she's quite, you know, I think it's interesting that her gender presentation, like she's kind of butch, and that's kind of interesting as well because okay. I thought that. Um, from looking at her anyway, she looks kind of birch-ish. And I thought that's interesting because I didn't know whether Disney... I thought Disney would probably... F- oh, like, sort of, like, fem her up a bit. Yeah, I thought Disney would fem up their first kind of lesbian character and likewise make their first openly gay male character, like, ultra butch or something. But they haven't done that, so that's cool. So they've kind of... She's, you know... She's um quite queer. But she's, like I said, she only has a slight scene I think from what I've read um but anyway it's a start um <laughs> so that's kind of like that should just be mentioned oh, um wow. <laughs> <laughs> but I like ah, I, Disney. I haven't seen it so with I'm still waiting for Elsa to really come out um but you know that was seven years ago yes I, th- I really think you should I think really think you should watch the sequel and in the next I think next episode you should give us an update on what you thought of the second film okay that'd be cool i'll do that i'll do that definitely <laughs> that's your that's your um like trial i guess for next episode is okay. to have watched frozen 2 i'll watch frozen 2 and i'll have a little think about 
what what my opinions are, whether they've changed or whatever. Yeah, definitely. That'd be cool. Um, so before kind of just talking about kind of analysing it a little bit, um, I thought I'd bring up two quotes to kind of give it some context as to why I'm pulling apart the film so much. Um, a film that is a family Disney film. <laughs> so I've got quotes, two quotes from The Celluloid Closet, 1995, uh, directed by, who's it directed by? Is it Vita Rosso? Vita Russo, yeah. Russo, yeah. Um, so I've got two I quotes. That, I know that off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, I know. I knew you would. Um, Sorry. <laughs> one quote's from Susie Bright, and she said this. It's amazing how if you're a gay audience and you're accustomed to crumbs, how you will watch an entire movie just to see somebody wear an outfit that you think means they're a homosexual. The whole yes. movie can be a dud, but you're just sitting there waiting for Joan Crawford to put on her black cowboy shirt again. So I thought that was a really good <laughs> quote. And then the other quote's a small, much smaller quote. Um, someone called Harvey Fierstein. The hunger I felt as a kid looking for gay images was not to be alone. So it's this idea. So if we kind of talk about Frozen and Mulan in this context of, I'm, you know, we're accustomed to nothing. In Disney, especially Disney, let's talk about Disney. Disney doesn't give us anything queer. You know, it's all very heterosexual, as we all know. So if because we're gay kids growing up with Disney, of course, we're going to try and find some kind of something to identify with. Um, yeah. So that's like if for somebody that wouldn't understand, because I have had this conversation with people that don't understand where I'm getting the gay subtext from. Yeah. And I think that's a good kind of way to back it up. Like, look, we're looking for it. Like, and there yeah. is signifiers there because we don't get it. We don't ever have anything queer for us in Disney. Um, yeah. So I mean, I would I would argue that a little bit. I would argue that in that we see queerness in villains. Oh yeah, no, you're right. Definitely. Definitely. And I know in I'm, the not, bad I'm definitely guys. not. Yeah, I'm it's not explicit, not but it is there. That. Sorry. Yeah, no, but I, I'm not the first person to say that. Um, but there is a lot of queer coding in the villains, particularly of the Renaissance villains. Yeah, when I watched Lion King back the other day, I never ever realised it, but I was like, I think Scar's gay. They something. Yeah, Scar is so, so queer camp. about. He's so camp, and I was like, oh my god, and he's like the bad guy. A hundred percent. You're right. Yeah. Again, it's not explicit. Yeah. Like they're not like Scar's no. gay and this is Scar's boyfriend. Yeah. But you're right. It's like you read these people as you read them like Ursula. Yeah. You read them it's as queer. Coding. Yeah, yeah, because Ursula is based on <laughs> the drag queen divine. Yeah. Who plays with monstrosity and villainy? Like the characters that Divine plays mm. are often horrible. Yeah. <laughs> they're really disgusting. Like the John Waters films are often really hard. To, like they. They're exciting in how horrible they are. What's your favourite Disney? Um, I don't know. I'd go for Beauty and the Beast. Um, I love Beauty and the Beast. Do I've you been mean the told original? I look yeah the original. <laughs> I've been told I look like the Beast when he's a man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you get up a photo of him. I can see that. <laughs> I can see that. It's, yeah, because you've got auburn, very thick hair. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can see it. I'll put a, a comparison yeah, photo up on Yeah, put a, a comparison up and you'll see it. <laughs> also been told to look a bit like Hercules, but obviously when he was skinny. Um, not now. Not now he's big and buff. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I'd say my favourite favourite is definitely Beauty and the Beast. I, I kind of like fancied Belle a little bit. A little bit, quite a lot. Um <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to think what my favourite was. When I was little, it was it was um, the Little Mermaid. 
I do love the Little Mermaid. That was my absolute favourite. I wanted to be a mermaid. <laughs> when I got a bit older, Peter Pan. Yeah, which Peter I think Pan's is good. super queer. Do you know what? I haven't, I've seen it. I haven't seen it for years. Oh, yeah, no, super super queer. And again, another um, another queer coded villain, Captain Hook. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Now I'd say. I, d- I did really enjoy Frozen. I really, really enjoyed Frozen too. Um, but in terms of the artwork, Cinderella. Yeah, Cinderella's stunning and that's like yeah. really original. Well, going quite back. I love for that and it's earlier. I love Bambi. I absolutely oh, yeah. love Bambi. I just think it's so cute. Um, it's, it's really so old. Sad. Cinderella and Bambi are really old ones. Um, Cinderella was 1952. Two, yeah. I think. Yeah, and I think it's Bambi one of the ones was in the 50s. 1940 something, early 1940s. So yeah, they're similar kind of to women. Ten years between them, but similar kind of times. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, yeah, I love those. They're great. I love Disney. Cool. Um, yes, so do I. <laughs> yeah, the other one. This is I was, just a proper nostalgia fest for me. Today. Yeah, I know. I do, I do love Disney. Like I love all the songs and everything. Like um. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we grew up on it, didn't we? Yeah, we did. What was the last thing I was going to... Yeah, no, really briefly, obviously, um, uh-huh. the other kind of one I wanted to talk about was Mulan, um, Ooh, 1998. Yeah. I just think it's totally queer, um, obviously. Um, <laughs> um, and as a child, because, I mean, I was born in 1992, so it came out in 1998. Oldie. So I was six. <laughs> uh, and um, what did you say? I called you an oldie. Yeah, I'm an oldie. I'm 95. <laughs> I'm the early 90s. 90s baby lived through most of the 90s proud <laughs> but yeah so I was six when it came out I think I saw it in the cinema um but yeah I really resonated with it because I was like the biggest tomboy obviously ever and obviously Mulan goes and pretends she's a man and uh, fights in place of her father etc but to me I it didn't need it really didn't need the heterosexual romance but obviously it had one because it's Disney <laughs> but it was so irrelevant and it's barely even there it's kind of like as we were talking about it's kind of like that same romance in Bend It Like Beckham where it's like let's just shove that in because we'll you know just to have it there because we need a heterosexual romance because that you know yeah. our world is heterosexual like we have to have it and it's just like it so I'll didn't ad- need it it did not need it one bit and I'll admit I think it's because it's based on a, a Chinese classical story yeah wasn't it I a true think it story? Might be there because I don't know whether I don't know whether it's based on a true story or whether it's sort of like whether the myth came from sort of something that might have really happened. But I think the romance is in the original story, so I think it would probably not be the best idea for them to cut that out. But I do I do get what you mean though. It just seemed like in the film, it just seemed like a second thought like it just kind of seemed like because it doesn't the romance doesn't actually happen until like halfway through the film it's you know it's all her kind of pretending she's a man and trying to fight and whatever um but also i think like as well as reading i think the character mulan can can be read as a lesbian but i think she can also be read as trans or non-binary so they Uh um especially with the the song reflections obviously I see that as really queer. Um, mm-hmm. I completely resonated with it, you know, like as a child, like as a very queer child that used to say that I say I was a little boy, completely resonated with this. So again, it's like 
getting the scraps of uh, yeah. mainstream heterosexual heteronormative films and Ooh. finding something that's queer and to me I was like oh my god like Mulan's song reflection and Mulan dressing like a man like wow this is amazing like you know yeah. and so that's how I, think, I read oh. it I just remembered. So there's been the new um, live action adaptation of Mulan. Yes, I, I saw that today when I was researching it. I was like, oh my God, I haven't even heard of this yet. I, I, I want to see it. What I was saying about the relationship, I could be wrong actually, because I have a feeling that there's no romantic relationship in the in the live action version. I think they've done away with it. I could be wrong though. Could you could wrong, read the relationship as it. gay male as well though, if you kind of look at Mulan as being trans. There's that idea of like yeah, but they play with that, don't they? In, yeah. in the live in the live action in the animated version, yeah, it's uh oh he's he he's got this gay panic. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. It's like it, Mulan's really interesting because it's really kind of fluid. Because it's like well, she yes. could be a lesbian, but she could be a trans man, but she could be or they. Do you know what I mean? It's just like all these different yeah. things. Well, she it? could just be her. Or she could just be her. She could be a straight yeah. woman dressed as a man because she wanted to look after her dad. <laughs> That's what she would film. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? It's like, it's really kind of yeah. a lot of different ways you can look at Mulan. Yeah. And Mulan is that film that, particularly with my butch friends, that's the one that always seems to be their favourite. Yeah. I, I mean, like I said, I did as a child really resonate with Mulan. I was like, oh. My God. I didn't see it as a kid. You didn't see it as I a kid? I didn't see it until I was 18. Did and not? I, yeah, I was babysitting. And the kids that I was babysitting wanted to watch it. So we sat and watched it and they plaited my hair because I still had long hair at that point. <laughs> <laughs> and did you, re- did you like feel like it was queer? Um, I don't think I did at the time, but then I don't think I was really concentrating massively on the film. <laughs> yeah. More like your hair was no, getting like tugged left, right, and centre. Oh my god, it was. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I did really enjoy it, and the oh, the animation, the actual visuals of it, are oh, it's stunning. stunning, and the songs, I love all the songs. Yes, yeah, there it's aren't so songs good. in the new one. My um, Abby was saying she read somewhere on, I think it was on Reddit, that so there's loads of songs in the film, like there's all these happy songs and whatever, and it's all like good, and then there's the part of the film where the Huns, um destroy a village and there's like the little you know there's a little girl's doll and all of that and it's suddenly really dark and from that Mm. point onwards there's no more songs oh i hadn't noticed that yeah i hadn't either how interesting is that they just stop so all of the music's before that moment oh i like that Yeah, it kind of gives you like shivers doesn't it i was like oh that's really (laughs) wow yeah powerful because yeah, I think they're Thank singing the song actually when they find it. The girl worth fighting for. Are they singing that song. Yes. Girl worth fighting for. Yes. Yeah, so we can move on and talk about stop motion animation and B. Um, so yeah, I mentioned before that stop motion is my fav- my personal favorite kind of animation. I love it for its artistic mastery, the attention to detail, and particularly its tangibility and the fact that it is rooted in our world. Mm. We're not animating another world on a sheet of paper or in or in a computer. We're actually creating it physically. Um, I've got some like stuff that I wanted to go over. So a large proportion of stop motion films are short films because of the expense, due to the fact that like 
they've got like the length of time that it takes to shoot a stop a stop motion film the workload itself um to give a bit of scale so like most live action films we know made these days are filmed and distributed at a rate of 24 frames per second so that the movement seems natural to the naked eye unless you're using slow-mo so you'll get like about 60 frames per second i think it is mm. um so you th- if you think of that as like if you're making a 90 minute film which even for today's features that's pretty short that's 129,600 frames wow. now, if you're doing that with stop motion you're incrementally moving that narrative along photo by photo and hoping that you're creating the illusion of inanimate objects moving smoothly and animating. It's <laughs> animating crazy, isn't things. it, stop motion? Yeah. Um, I had a note, so in the case of Coraline by Henry Selick from 2009, they doubled the figure of photos that were taken because they shot everything from two different angles. So they shot over 288,000 photos at least because the film was an hour and 40 minutes and that's wow. not including any reshooting. That's if they didn't make any mistakes or have to redo something because they changed their mind. It's a lot of hard work. Um, it's bloody amazing. The fact that there are any feature length stop motion films to me, I'm just in awe of those animators. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot, a lot of, of work. So much patience. Um, Attention anyway. to detail. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you think of like people who are um, continuity spotters, like having to be a continuity spotter on a stop motion mm. film. <laughs> um, even at this rate, you'll still get like a bit of friction because whilst the animation may be seamless, you're seeing objects that might not normally move, and mm. it can be quite jarring to see them do so. Um, so, and some objects don't necessarily have a natural way of moving when they're not animated. So, like for example. Um, so no matter how smoothly a fork or something is walking along, you know that a fork wouldn't normally walk, be walking. Mm. <laughs> so that is going to create a bit of friction in the, not in the brain, like not in the brain, but like in what you're seeing, the expectation changes. Um, so I know that this seems quite an, a random way to open when we're talking about like gay films and visibility and invisibility, but I thought, this would be a good way to open and keep this in mind and I'll come back and talk about this when I discuss the bodies of the subjects of the film that I'm talking about. Yeah. So, B. So, director Kai Stanek, Staneker, Stanek, released B, so the letter B, um, in 2015. The film was originally going to be titled Own Drum, referring to the idiom of march to the beat of your own drum. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, I really like it too. In some ways, I wish it had been called that. Ah, oh, it was in the Netflix um, documentary Circus of Books. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, it's about the gay, I've not seen it. gay pawn shop. Yes. And they were talking about, like, oh, like, all the queer kids who... Anyway, like, the director is the um, daughter of the people that own the book, and she... I don't know if she's queer, but she used to hang out with queer kids, and they were all talking about to the beat of your own drum we all we all made friends with each other because we realized that we all danced to the beat of our own drum like we were all different we all kind of stayed Aww. true to ourselves and they were all kind of queer kids it was really cool really cool so that's, that's interesting cute. that you said that that was literally like two days ago yeah the film was released in the uk via peccadillo pictures which is like a queer um distribution company mm. in the uk um and it was it was released as part of an anthology called girls on film 2 which if you haven't seen it, highly, highly recommend, especially if you like short films like me. Um, 
before we start, if you want to see this film, um, because it is a little independent one, I'd recommend watching it on the Peccadillo player. It's on the BFI player at the moment as well. Oh, cool. It's on the dreaded Amazon. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that's a bit more accessible, I think, in some ways. Um, and post-lockdown, if you want to get the DVD, it's available through HMV and through Gaze the Word in London. Is it? Okay, the LGBT cool. bookshop. Yeah, that's... Like, they do a lot of... They... Um, they sell a lot of the Peccadillo picture films physically, which I think is quite cool. Because I think it's really nice cool. to actually have a physical copy, not just a digital download. Yeah. Yeah, there's something Especially about that. Especially with independent filmmakers. It seems to be like a dying thing that people have physical copies of like DVDs and like films and stuff. But I think it's important, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, same. <laughs> I like my DVDs. Um, oh, moving on. Uh, so the film follows the titular B a girl living in a fantastic world of plastic and all is going fine until she starts to realise that she doesn't have the feelings for Kay that she's expected to. Instead, she starts feeling the feels for another woman. All of this is incredibly rendered in stop motion using doll puppets that ache into a cross between the Mattel doll Barbie with a more brats-like head. So I assume that this is partially to give a larger surface space in which to animate the character's features, because obviously Barbie doll's faces are really, really tiny. Um, so I don't really want to spoil this film too much, so I'm only going to be talking about like really particular elements and scenes so that you can watch it in its entirety, because it is only 15 minutes long. Um, but yeah, and also the, the K that I refer to, um, yeah, <laughs> they're literally called B and K. That's which... the characters? Yeah. <laughs> and they're but... both lesbians? No, no, no. So K is so like B is based on Barbie. K is based on Ken. Ken. Yes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's cool. I like that. Yeah. Oh, who's going to be the love interest? So the Barbie world, I think, is a pretty great setting for a story of going against compulsory heterosexuality. Oh God, fantastic. Yeah, uh, particularly as possibly less so now. I think a bit more historically, but fashion dolls definitely have been really closely tied to gender and sexuality norms. Mm. Um, so depicting a Barbie-style doll as a lesbian certainly plays with the cultural expectations we hold for it. Yeah, um, I love that. I, yeah, it's... Oh, you really need to watch it. It's so good. Um, I guess the key elements of this film that I want to discuss and cover here, linking, obviously, to the overall theme of this podcast of visibility and invisibility is how a method of filmmaking can have an influence on the embodiment and even the performance of the queer woman. So, obviously, you've sort of done a really great introduction to different forms of lesbian and sapphic animation. Mm. This is almost like a, a little case study into one specific film. Yeah. Which, unlike the ones that you've looked at, um, which are, I think, all, apart from possibly some of the Yuri, um, are predominantly made with children in mind and family in mind, this film is not. <laughs> this film is definitely not PG even. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah, so keep that in mind. Uh, I've got two main points that I want to cover. I think the first being how the movement of the stop-motion puppet links to what I've started to discuss with regards to like heteronormativity. Mm. And the second being how the Barbie image and the lesbian image come together. Um, so going back to what I was previously discussing regarding frame rates and like seamlessness of movement in stop motion, 
I wanted to pause for a moment on how the dolls move and how they both meet our expectations and go against that. Mm. I couldn't I couldn't find out what the frame rates used in this film, but I assume it was done at the standard 24 frames per second, but it doesn't feel like it. Um, there's like an exaggerated clunkiness and like rigidity to the movement of the dolls. And whilst we might not expect that for contemporary stop motion, which is for the most part really smooth um, and almost like comparable to CGI and hand-drawn animation, um, we would expect that for a doll, like yeah. how a doll moves, particularly the Barbie doll, which has... Um, I'm literally trying to think about it now. Like you can move the head side to the side. The arms can go up and down, but they don't have joints at the elbows. Yeah. And the same with the legs. Yeah. And I don't. I don't. Can you move the waist? I'm not sure. I think. It I think it depends, depends on, the on the Barbie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> they kind of sit down yeah. with their legs really straight and stuff like that. Like they do. Um, I mean, in this, they do have. They are slightly ball jointed, so they do have the ability to move like elbows and wrists and knees but they don't or certainly the theme like the the women characters in this film they still move a lot like a barbie doll i think mm. um so thinking of other examples of barbie stop motion there's the youtube web series the most popular girls in school have you heard of that i haven't no i haven't heard of that so oh my god look it up again it's not for children it's swear abundant swearing all the time um it was created by carlo moss and mike cope and the series started in 2012 it's still ongoing <laughs> wow and it's, I love it's it. I they've that. literally got um the creators do use actual mattel barbie dolls and a lot of the humor comes from the minimal and like restricted movement of the dolls so mm. like they'll gesture by putting their entire arms straight up in the air <laughs> rather than like obviously bringing their arms to their faces or anything they just like at one point one of them is like patting her hair and her arm is just straight up nowhere near it i'm looking <laughs> at it i'm looking at it now it looks really it's cool actually ridiculous um yeah and unlike the dolls in b their expressions don't change so even like if they're screaming swear words and profanities you still get the perfect <laughs> barbie face yeah i love that <laughs> Um, in B, in comparison, there's almost the dolls' faces are almost they're kind of like Mrs. Potato Head. Like the mouth looks like it's been almost like popped on. Oh, it's separate. okay. It's, it's like it's moulded away from the face, and that and eyebrows give us a bit more insight into how the character is feeling. Oh, so they um, change their facial expressions. Yeah, they do. Whereas the ones in um, the most popular girls in school, their faces don't change at all. Yeah, I'm which looking can, at which them has now. The humor in that. You've made me think of another film. I'm going to bring it up after you've spoke. I'm just searching. Oh that. yeah, go for it's it. It's a Barbie um, stop motion. Oh, oh okay. I didn't know that there was another one. Yeah, it's, um, it's a bit dark. Oh okay. Um, in B, uh, there's no dialogue. In the film, there's only like expressive mm, and ah sort of noises, like or like they'll grumble yeah. almost, but they never talk. Um, and obviously there's like diegetic sounds as well. There's a little bit of soundtrack, I think, but not much. It's very minimal. Um, so not only does the Barbie of B not always look so happy, but she sort of disrupts this expectation of like the sanitised happy image of the childhood toy Yeah. even further. So <laughs> prepare yourselves for gay Barbie sex. Oh, my God, I love it. I can't even, I can't even, I can't even really picture it. 
I need to see yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Tell me about this it. brings, yeah, this brings a whole new meaning to the aqua lyrics. Kiss me here, touch me there, hanky panky. <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> I love the fact that people will probably assume, obviously we cut out a lot of the like sex scene talk from the last episode, but I think that's probably more of an assumption that possibly you talk about sex in this more than I do. <laughs> and I'm talking about really? Barbie sex scenes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Um, so there are three sex scenes in B and the fact that the film is like, as I've said, like it's 15 minutes long. That's quite a lot of sex scenes in a short space of time. Um, (laughs) I thought it was, I thought it was really interesting that the lesbian sex scene in this film is only a fantasy. It's a dream. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a fantasy of bees sparked by, so she has... A slightly more explicit sex scene with her boyfriend Kay and he gives her like very unsatisfying missionary sex with um, the lights off on I don't know <laughs> <laughs> so it's shot from a oh, it's such a cringy scene like it's shot from a bird's eye view above the bed that's like the classic you're like, yeah like you're making eye contact with B. <laughs> she's looking up she looks posed like she literally looks like a posed doll she doesn't move at all um, like her legs are like rotated out, um, and the only movement in the scene is like Kay rutting their nether regions together. And to make it even more <laughs> ridiculous, obviously they're Barbie dolls. There's nothing there. It's smooth. Yeah, it's totally smooth. <laughs> yeah, um, for both of them, and it doesn't like the whole situation doesn't seem to be pleasuring either of them. Um, but as soon as he goes to the shower, like he literally gets off her, doesn't even say anything, he just goes in the shower. Um, a red-headed doll character clad only in fishnet tights comes, she's like literally swaying out of this like dark corner of B's bedroom. But the thing that I love is the fact that like, as I've mentioned, all of the characters are ball jointed, but she is the first one that we see actually have a bit more movement. Hmm. So ready, she's like ready literally for swaying. Yeah, she's like literally swaying side to side, like throwing her hips side to side. She has the ability to move in a freer way than B does. So like if you're thinking of the Barbie doll, she's literally not moving like like you would think a Barbie doll would. Mm. Um, because she is able to move side to side. She's moving her arms in a different way. Um, and she comes to lay with her head between B's thighs. <laughs> Um, and I don't know, I just, I kind of had this idea of like movement and queerness coming together at the same time. Mm. And whilst all of the dolls in B, like they all have this very restrictive, like the very straight leg movement, Mm. she goes beyond that, especially when she's having this sexual moment, even though it's a dream, she's having this moment with B. Um, I know that I'm like, it caught me and I might be being a bit of a nerd here, but it was just intriguing how the literal movements connote other possibilities beyond that which you've been assigned yeah like she's no longer like rigid like stuck to this kind of rigidness or whatever like yeah yeah like going against this compulsory heterosexuality there is there are other possibilities yeah like it's literally she moves in a queer way it's great Coming on to my second point that I wanted to discuss, 
when do we see these queer women in animation what exactly do we see who do we see um i know sean that you've asked that we have b for butch for the next episode and yeah. i wanted to start to touch on that topic a little bit here in the context of animation okay um, cool. obviously not too much but with particularly with the barbie intersection mm. um so in some ways i wonder whether we're um like whether there's this fear of looking like you're playing into a stereotype when you have the queer woman on screen like not wanting to have a sort of a very stereotypically visual looking does that make sense i'm yes. babbling here no like, <laughs> yeah i'm following you don't like, worry yeah having the stereotype of a queer woman on screen but for one thing if you never have that stereotype on screen then you're cutting out a large proportion of the queer feet like queer sapphic community yeah um because there are those of us who do look like that mm-hmm. there are a lot of us who have short hair and wear jeans and don't wear makeup etc doesn't necessarily mean that a character is butch or even that they're sapphic or gay etc but it is an element of that yeah. um there are lesbians and queer women who don't fit into femininity in a conventional way um in this film, however, we do see several characters who are sapphic, but none of them exhibit much outside of the Barbie aesthetic. Mm. And I was kind of thinking of like this lesbian Barbie, which aligns with, I know there's been a lot of, especially at the turn of the century, this idea of the of the Hollywood lesbian and sort of the sort of kind of femme, kind of sort of very soft butch aesthetic that mm. is palatable. Yeah. Palatable? Yeah, that's palatable. That's the word, palatable. Yeah, as we spoke about, yeah. this, Yeah. yeah. Oh, palatable um, lesbianism. <laughs> the palatable lesbian, yeah. And you kind of get that in this film here as well. Right. Um, going back to movement, the animation of hair in this film is amazing, honestly. So both B and the nameless redhead of her sort of dream sequence, they both have this super luxurious, long Barbie hair. And in the case of the redhead, like, dream girl... Um, the swaying of her hips and her body in that scene, her hair swishing to side to side at the same time, and obviously hair is not the be all and end all. As but as we discussed in the last episode, it can be a really big part of our identities as queer women, and can be a signaler. Yeah. Um, in B, signals are down. Um, as all of the dolls have identical bodies. Mm. they literally they all fit a mold like they've all been made in the same mold um for these toys um and so the hair and clothes that they wear are the only ways that we can read their queerness on them beyond their movement um in a scene early in the film b witnesses a lesbian couple being told to leave a restaurant because they're like they're showing public display public displays of affection um I thought it was intriguing that this is the first time that we see see another woman in this film that doesn't have super long hair. So one of the couple has a blunt bob. And what did make me laugh is that her lover has long hair, but she has a flannel shirt on. <laughs> yeah. Because of Putting course. in those signifiers very subtly. <laughs> exactly. And, like, you could definitely argue that that one is a, an LHB, a long-haired butch. <laughs> and there are, like, in Skate the film there are... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or a surf lesbian. Surf lesbian, I love it, yeah. Yeah. Um, and there are other, like, supposedly straight women with shorter hair in the film, like, in the background, but this is the first time that we see it. Like, all of the other 
women characters that we've seen have got really long hair, mm. like most Barbie dolls do. Mm. Um, B goes to see the redhead from her fantasy, and because she's a woman that she does actually know, mm. um, but is met with her lover, another blunt bobbed, blunt blunt bobbed, <laughs> blunt, blunt bobbed. bobbed woman, <laughs> blunt bobbed Barbie. Blunt bobbed Barbie, yeah, a blunt bob. Like she's another Barbie with a blunt bob. <laughs> a BBB. I don't like. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> I don't like talking anymore. Um, so as I've said, like there was a lot written, like in the late nineties, early two thousands, about like the chic lesbian, um, and how you'd often have like a very, very, very conventional femme lesbian with a like butch light character who might wear a flannel shirt or might have shorter hair but not too short she's yeah so she's, back... yeah she's not threatening the binary too much yeah like kind of like the bbc lesbian haircut yeah it's not short but it's not too it's short but it's not too short palatable butch <laughs> yeah exactly so Acceptable nearly at the butch. end here yeah um but the thing that i thought was i don't know i keep reminding myself that we're looking at this story of a character going against compulsory heterosexuality in an excessively gendered Barbie-like world mm. and actually these these differences in appearance obviously from a, a queer perspective from a sapphic gaze this might not seem like much but they are enough and obviously it's a caricature but for many subtlety is really important mm. and as we see from the couple being rejected from the restaurant even the slightest deviance from the norm has repercussions in this world. Yeah. Does that's that make so sense? Yeah, no, it sounds wicked. I really want to see it now. Yeah. That's what I've got. Um, I did have a couple of questions that I thought might be of interest. Um, were you... I mean, I think I know what the answer's going to be, but were you a Barbie girl? <laughs> <laughs> actually, I have, I have some interesting comments about this. So... God. I actually had both Barbie and Action Men dolls um, that I used to play with, and uh, and Ken dolls, and I used to like make them marry each other and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. I also remember a story which is so interesting. I'd literally forgotten about it until you brought it up. Um, <laughs> when I was a child, a friend of mine, um, his little sister, had all these Barbie dolls. For some reason, she didn't want them anymore. I don't know why, but anyway. Um, but her mum had short hair and was kind of... She wasn't gay, but she was kind of more masculine than your typical, like, heterosexual woman. Um, yeah. And when I, I... I basically picked up all these Barbie dolls because, like I said, I liked playing with both. I had loads of Barbie and Ken dolls. I loved it. And Action Men. Um, and I went and picked up this big kind Action of... Man. Yeah. This big kind of Tesco bag of uh, Barbie dolls. And then when I got home, they all had... She'd, like, shaved all their heads. <laughs> <laughs> And I think it was because her mum had really short hair. So, and I think I remember actually something about her saying, I wanted them to look like my mum or like something like that. Literally all of them, there's about 20 Barbie dolls. They just had like no hair. And it was at first, it was like kind of unnerving because I was like, oh my yeah. God, where's, because I was like, what, six? And I was like, oh my God, where's their Barbie's hair? Like, I've never seen a Barbie. They had like really, some of them had like really short, spiky hair as well where they'd been cut. You know? Oh, that's almost like um the doll that um oh gosh what was her name in the Rugrats. Um, Do you remember I the Rugrats? I, remember. I think oh, I know one I... of the characters. Yeah, one of the characters had a Barbie doll and she had like spokes of hair sticking out from her head. <laughs> yeah, it was like that. It was like 
but it was kind of cool. Like she kind of queered the Barbie dolls without even realizing that she'd done it at like five years old. <laughs> Wait, so were they like bald? Some of them were, and some of them just had really kind of chopped hair, like chopped short butch haircuts. Oh, that would have really upset me when I was a kid. I would have cried. Like it, it, it kind of when I saw it, it like shocked me. But then I was kind of like cool, because I remember yeah. like I liked having all the different kind of. I had all the different. I had white Barbies, I had black Barbies, and the same with Ken dolls, and I had all these different kind of action men, and they're all different kind of types and colours. You know, like, mm-hmm. I really liked... I remember even as a kid, I liked the fact that they were all different and not yeah. the same kind of dolls, if that makes sense. Yeah, so I remember I really bodies. enjoyed the fact that these dolls had short hair. <laughs> only thing is... <laughs> only thing is... I think when I played with them, I don't remember because this, you know, this is me delving into childhood repressed memories. I think I made them evil because they had short hair, <laughs> which shows you how much the sub the the villain subtext of Disney and yeah. Butchwomen got into my head. <laughs> did you? Um, obviously, this is a bit different, but did you have like baby dolls? See, I never had them. I oh, never I had did. baby doll. I did. I, I was... remember. Oh. I had, like, as an adult now, I'm a lot more, I find, like, even when my, like, younger, because I've got lots of nibblings, like, nieces and nephews, mm. um, even when they've had, like, baby dolls, I've always found it as an adult, it's kind of creepy. I found that. I even thought that as a kid. I remember someone, my mum being like, do you want a doll, maybe once? And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I never, ever them. had one. Huh? Oh, I had... Because um, I was very into dolls, and being the like youngest in my family, and all my older siblings mm. were a lot older, they would like my brother worked at Argos. He like he spoiled me rotten. <laughs> yeah. But there was this oh gosh what it was called it was like an Annabelle doll or something, and it was one that had a solid head, but then it had a plush body. Yeah. And I remember like taking it to bed with me because it was kind of like a kind of creepy teddy bear. <laughs> Yeah, they just always creep me out. All of the different kinds the... of dolls. Especially the really old-fashioned dolls. They really creep me out. Oh, like the ones that if you tip them forward and back, their eyes open and close. Yeah, and they're kind of like weighted. China. And they just kind of look at you from the corner Ooh. of the room. They always tend to be in like elderly relatives' houses or they're just kind of lurking in the background. <laughs> I'm quite lucky. None of my family members ever had China dolls. I always feel like they're going to come to life. <laughs> That's the, I mean, that's like, that's Sigmund Freud, that's the uncanny. That's yeah. uncanny valley. That's the whole, like, things that look human but aren't human and they don't act quite like a human. But then even, yeah, like, thinking about stop like motion. That. Yeah. Yeah, like Animation. stop motion. A lot of people, a lot of people really don't like, they're fine with CGI and, well, even going into CGI, but, like, especially hand drawn animation, that seems to be the safe area that that doesn't really creep people out. But, stop motion because it has that tangibility some people find it really freaky but also cgi when they've tried to go too human mm. it freaks people out like um it does. polar express or <laughs> i've, I've or, seen the like images but I'm, i don't think i've watched it and i remember everyone was like oh my nieces and nephews love that film and i had to sit and watch it with them and it is terrifying like it scared me as an adult it's upsetting i i i think this is and we're going like proper psycho we're psychoanalyzing ourselves here but i think this is part of my issue with animation you've kind of actually kind of pinpointed it there because i don't really watch it and because it does have a it 
like a lot of animation makes me feel strange, kind of eerie, sometimes depressed, and I don't know why. And maybe you've hit the nail on the head. It's this kind of surreal aspect. It's uncanny. It's not quite human, and it's like just a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, and but then definitely. I love watching animation. I love certain I freaking parts. Love it. I love certain parts of animation. Like I said, I love which is weird because I love Waltz with Bashir, and that's kind of. Hasn't he, like, overlaid animation over actual yes. real images? So Yeah, I... it's similar. It's not rotoscoping, but it's similar to rotoscoping. I'm going to uh, recommend another podcast. I seem to like recommending every other podcast on our yeah, podcast. Yeah, you're like, don't listen to us. Listen to these people. <laughs> we don't know what we're there's, talking about. <laughs> there's a brilliant podcast called Fantasy Animation, which is hosted by one of our lecturers from KCL, Chris Holiday. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, okay. I didn't know he did that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So he's an animation expert. That's his thing. Um, and there's a really great episode where they're talking about what's with Bashir with um, uh, Bella Honest Rowe, who was my head of department at Surrey, because that was that was as I've said earlier in the episode, that was her uh, PhD project was looking at what's with Bashir and um, an animated documentary. Um, so if you're interested in that particularly, I highly recommend going over and listening to their episodes. Cause, and especially if you like animation, obviously we're not, this is a one-off, we're going to be talking about animation just in this episode. Yeah. If you like that, that is the place to go as well. Shall we wrap up for today? Yes. Our next episode will be B for Butch. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, B for Butch. Fabulous. Thank you for listening. You can find The Invisible on Spotify and other popular streaming platforms. You can follow us on our social media on Instagram and Twitter at The Invisible Pod. The Invisible, created and hosted by Sarah Wingrove and Sean Williams. Music and effects created and performed by Joe James. Artwork designed by Toby Allen. <laughs>